And now I will also deliver the scripture reading. Hear the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1 and verses 4 through 7. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, folks. So we're looking at the book of Jeremiah today. You know, I come from a family of factory workers and farmers. Growing up, um, I learned from my grandparents quite a bit. As a matter of fact, my great-grandfather owned a peach tree farm right outside of Rochester, New York. He came from a legacy of farmers in the family and loved farming. They loved that peach tree farm. There's wonderful stories about living on that farm from the family. But unfortunately, he died early in his life. And he left behind my great-grandmother and their two children. It was a difficult time because it was the great, right after the Great Depression. So we all remember, from history at least, the impact that had on the country, how difficult it was in that time and that season. Poverty was around, everybody was struggling. They too found themselves there. Here they had this farm, this grandmother wondering what am I to do? And she got help from others to work that farm and they did for several years. She actually even became the county telephone operator. See, back then, you had to have a telephone operator to talk to other people, and they actually took the closet in the farmhouse and they converted it into um, where she was the operator, and so the phone lines all came into their home. Very little house on the prairie, I guess you would say. Uh, that's how they brought in some extra funds, and they were able to sustain the farm for a while. But then they couldn't do it any longer, and they had to sell the farm, they had to give it up, they had to move to a new place new land and figure out how to do this life thing all over again. And it was devastating for them, really difficult. It was a difficult time in the world. It was a difficult time in their own life. But you know what I remember the most about their stories? Was how their family and their faith carried them through those really difficult times. I remember them telling stories about how their faith helped them bloom where they were planted in the new season of their life. Farmers would say that. It's an interesting saying, isn't it? Bloom where we're planted. You've heard it said a couple of times already today. It's interesting because it's one of those phrases that sometimes gets attributed to the fact that it's actually in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible in that way. Um, however, it is attributed to um, an, a 16th century bishop, the Bishop of Geneva, St. Francis de Sales is credited with saying that. 
And I want to share with you what he actually wrote about that. Listen to this. I also think I have a slide for it, too. He says, true charity has no limit. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by his spirit dwelling in each one of us, calling us to a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where he has planted and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. Bloom where we're planted isn't necessarily found in the Bible. However, its theme is found in many, many stories in the scriptures. I love the phrase, bloom where you're planted, and I came across a couple of interesting images. This one is my probably all-time favorite of it, and it's an image of a tree growing into another tree. Can you see it? There is a tree, and on the tree branch, out of the moss, is growing another tree. Now, I really can't tell if this is totally true or it's just like on one of those Google searches, but I've seen it show up time and time again, and I just think it's fascinating because there's other images, like go to this one. This one we saw up in upstate New York, which is where I'm from quite a bit, and that is where trees are growing up out of rocks. The ability to bloom wherever they were planted, even in the deep crevices of the earth where you wouldn't think life would come from. And so today in our scripture reading, we find the Israelites in this season of their own relocation plan, as you heard Mac read earlier. The Israelites, they were forced to move from their land, not by their own choosing, and had a move to a land of another. They were facing hardship and loss and frustration. For any of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, for 120 years, the Israelites were doing great. I mean, they had their own land, they had their own temple, they had their own king. Things were going wonderful for them. They were in the seats of power, there was prestige, they were growing in their relationship with God. And then, uh, then some tough times came. You see, they started to have internal conflict among them. And things started to go downward in the community itself, but also in the world around them. And they found that the Assyrians, they conquered the northern part of Israel. And then the Babylonians came in and they conquered the southern part of Israel. And then they took the Israelites captive and they hauled them off in exile miles away. And this is where we find our scripture reading today. This is where we find those Israelites held in captivity. They were exiled. They were despondent. They were disillusioned. They they couldn't believe what was happening to them. Did you know that there are more words in the Bible that are devoted to the causes, conditions, and consequences of the exile than any other biblical event, including the resurrection? Yep. The exile for the Israelites was their most formative episode in the history of the people of God. And so if anyone had reason to focus on the tragedy and the trauma that was before them, it was certainly the Israelites. They lost everything. They lost everything they believed in, their land, their temple, their king. And it's through this lens that we find the prophets, just like Jeremiah, bringing a word of hope in the midst of their grief and disappointment. And he's giving them a word 
of encouragement and a word of direction as to how they may rise above, how they may move through this season of devastation in their life. And he called the people to seek the welfare of the city by rebuilding buildings, by planting gardens, almost as a way of saying, this is how we stake a claim on a hopeful future with God. It really is almost like Jeremiah was calling those Israelites, hey folks, it's time to bloom where you're planted. And not just for yourself, but also to be an influence for the community as he invited them to pray for the city, to pray for their welfare, the place in which they want, didn't want to be. But he was inviting them to both bloom and to both blossom. And then he invited them to bless. And I wonder if maybe God is inviting us to consider ways that we might do the same for us in our life. Well, as I looked at the story this week, I saw three things that Jeremiah did with the Israelites. Three things that I think he was encouraging them to do, lenses through which they might look at, and there were three things that might help us to navigate this for today to how we might bloom where we're planted. And it was acceptance, focus, and facing the sunshine. So let me start with acceptance. When I looked at the text today, when I read through the story of Jeremiah, I realized how much Jeremiah helped the people of Israel acknowledge the devastation and the pain and loss they were experiencing. He didn't keep them in denial over it. He acknowledged it. It was real. It was raw. You don't want to be here. I get it. I get you want to be somewhere else. I get you want a different answer. I get it. I get it. And yet, in the midst of that grief, he reached out to them and he said, I know this is awful. I know what you're going through is tough, but you are not alone. God is here with us, and we need to reclaim God's presence with us so that we can seek to figure out how we might move beyond our circumstances and to again live a life of blessing. He was inviting them to acknowledge their circumstances and to find ways in which they may rise above those circumstances. You know, for all of us in our lives, I can imagine we've all been through times where we're in circumstances not of our own choosing or even circumstances that we've found ourselves in that are difficult to accept. You know, acceptance doesn't mean that we say it's okay. It doesn't mean surely that we say it's okay if we're tolerating unacceptable behavior or injustice or abuse. If those are situations that we find ourselves in, things that threaten our well-being, our mental health, or our physical health, that may be a time that we're called to embrace a power to leave, or embrace a power to seek help, or even to embrace a power from the love of God to help us confront situations that are unhealthy or unsafe. But when we acknowledge what is, we can stake a claim on the reality of what it is so that we can find ways to rise above and out of it, to find our way through it with the love and the hope of God. I love how one writer put it. She said, for her, acceptance didn't mean that her life necessarily got better, but it did mean 
that her life could have a way of living on life's terms, and it could improve. And that was hope for her. And I love this title of the book that she wrote. She wrote a book called Making a Pearl from the Grit of Life. Her name was Sharon Rainey. I love that phrase, just like an oyster, right? The grit of life. How many of us know about the grit of life? And she said this, she said, life can be messy and grit and grace come fast. And sometimes they're overwhelming and it can diminish our spirit, but they ride by us side by side. And she said for her, as she was going through a really difficult time, she said with every opportunity, God presented me with a choice. And I could accept the offerings that God gave me, that wisdom and that grace. Or, she said, I could choose to hold on to pain and anger and resentment a little while longer. She said when she grabbed a hold of the grit of her life and invited the spirit into her life and transform it, she said she found a way to grow deeper in her relationship with God. She found her relationships with her family expand. And I'm gonna guess some of you have had those experiences as well. You may have been in a tough season of your life where you found a way to make the best out of it. Or maybe you were in it right now. And maybe the hope and the promise that Jeremiah gives to the people of God might be something that you embrace for yourself, that God has a future for all of us, one that can go deep and wide in the love of God. The writer of this, when she talked about acceptance, she said, I discovered this. She said, here's the thing about acceptance. Because when we're in it, just like the Israelites, they didn't want to be where they were. She said, but here was the deal. She found that true happiness came from what she called the great letting go. The letting go of our insistence that life and people in our lives should be exactly the way that I want them to be. Because unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way, right? And she found that in the letting go, she could find peace in the midst of the hardship. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in his book to the Philippians when he was going through some really difficult times and he was writing back to the group on how he navigated his way through it and he said this, he said, for I've learned what it is to be content with whatever I have. I've learned the secret of being well fed or hungry, of being in need or having plenty. He said, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul and Sharon, they both found as they accepted the circumstances of their life and they allowed the strength of God to, to bring them through it, well, it was then they could focus on the possibilities of hope, the seeds that could be planted in their new life right where they were. And that was the second thing I saw in this scripture today. I saw how Jeremiah was inviting the Israelites to focus on the possibilities that were before them to build homes, to create families, and to plant gardens. Now, I want to ask you guys this. How many of you guys are gardeners? Anybody do a little gardening, even around a little bit? Well, you know, for most gardeners, you just don't pick up a package of seeds and go, woo, let's see where they land, right? There's a sense of intentionality about it, isn't there? 
I mean, if we're wanting something to grow, there's an intentionality about what we do with those seeds. When we plant, we plant with possibility in mind. And we have some idea of what we're going to do and where we're going to plant that garden. And I think that's what Jeremiah is inviting these Israelites to do. He's saying, I get you don't want to be here, but here's the invitation from God. I want you to plant right here, right where we are, and we're going to intentionally plant. We're going to build our families centered on the love of God. We're going to build our homes. And yes, folks, we are going to become a gift to the city by praying for them. You know, when we think about it, gardeners spend a lot of time strategically picking out where they're going to plant those seeds. They pick the soil, they take a look at the optimal place they're going to put it, and then they start planting. The Israelites found themselves planted in a region they weren't choosing, but God was inviting them to plant their seeds into the soil that they found themselves and to start planting it deep. As I said, I think some who were there with Jeremiah had to be thinking, you've got to be kidding. You really want me to plant seeds right where I am? You really want me to do that? Because I really want to be someplace else. And that might be true for some of you. As you consider, how might you bloom where you're planted today? Is there a place in your life that you might focus on the possibility it's before you of planting roots. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your community. Is there a place where you might plant some new roots and see what God might do through them and in you? You know, here's the thing. It's only in hindsight now that we see how God worked through those Israelites as they returned to their faithful devotion to God. And it's only in hindsight now that we can see all the ways in which God worked through those circumstances to bless the Israelites and to bless the people that were around them in the city. And I have to wonder, maybe the same is true for us. If we looked around and asked the question, how might we bloom where we're planted? Even at the forefront, if it's not someplace we're thinking we ought to be. Because here's the thing, no matter how old you are, whether you feel like you are planted where you're in the right place or not, you can be there on purpose. You really can. When I think of gardens, I oftentimes think of the sunflowers that my mother used to plant in the front of our house in Buffalo, New York. We was always during the summertime, of course, because that's the only time you can really plant stuff to grow. And she planted these sunflowers. We used to sit on the porch every summertime, and we'd eat the sunflowers inside because those like sunflower plants actually have seeds. And you just cut them, and you just sit on the front porch, and you pick all the sunflower seeds up and eat them away. It was such fun to do it. But I learned something a while back about sunflowers. Sunflowers, as they are growing, always face the sunshine. That's the third thing I saw Jeremiah inviting these folks to do, is to face the sunshine. One researcher put it this way. She said, just like people, plants rely on the daily rhythms of life, night and day to function. Sunflowers 
Like solar panels, they follow the sun from the east and the west as they are in growth season. And they found it's in following the light that they grow and they gain strength to produce that healthy fruit and seed. I love the image of the sunflower, not just because of the childhood memory, but that image that it moves to face the sunshine as it grows. I think you probably can get where I'm going with this, right? But when we face the sunshine of God's love in our life throughout our days, well, then doesn't God have a way of bringing us strength and encouragement, peace of hope in the midst of our life? And so when I ask the question, how do we bloom where we're planted? Where am I facing the sunshine? Where are you facing the sunshine? Is there something you're grateful for? Are there things that you can see that you reflect God's love in your life? That might be a question for us as we live into this week. I love the passage from Hebrews. It says, so then, with endurance, let's run the race laid out for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the face pioneer and perfecter. Jeremiah was inviting these Israelites that as they started to plant new gardens, as they built families to pray for the city, to look for their goodness, to find gratitude in the world around them so that they could become a blessing, the blessing to the nations of which was their commission and their mission all along. Charles Swindoll, a famous preacher, wrote this. He said, you know, we cannot change our past, and we cannot change the fact that we'll, people will act the way we want them to act. The only thing we can do is to play one string that we have, and that's our attitude. He said, I'm convinced that life is 10% about what happens to me, and 90% about how I react to it. And so it can be with you. For we are in charge of our own attitudes. To me, he was saying, we can choose to focus on the sunshine. We can, even in the darkest of our times. God is right there. God's never left us. We can look for God's light, because God's light is there with us. And when we do, we can even see the light of God and other people. This season for the Israelites was a season of planting and rebirth. And Jeremiah was calling them to accept the life in which they were living and to focus on the possibilities that could lie ahead for them, to live into the promise of blooming and blessing the city in which they now resided. And in doing so, those Israelites, they rediscovered their faithfulness and the loving kindness of a God that never left them. And in doing so, they rediscovered their mission to be a blessing to others as they prayed for the welfare of the city. You know, prayer can be a powerful tool that aids all of us when we're living throughout all our different seasons of life, but especially when we're looking for God's guidance, when we're looking for God's direction in our life. And there is one prayer that has helped me the most, I would say, 
Whenever I'm in a season where I've got to accept stuff I really don't want to have to accept or when I'm hurt and I'm broken and I don't want to where to turn, this has been a prayer that has just shaped me each and every time. It's a prayer that I think many of you will have heard is very familiar. It starts out like this. It's a familiar part of it. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference, right? Yeah. It's a prayer. It's very famous in recovery movements, but we've heard it prayed probably throughout our lives, that particular one. I have a cross-stitch of it hanging on my wall. It's interesting. This prayer was actually written by a uh, 20th century theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, and it's actually a longer version of it. And I'd like us to close with it today. It's a whole long version of his prayer. And in that prayer, I think it invites us to step into the words of Jeremiah, how we might plant seeds into our own life right now, and how we may rediscover the love of God right here and right now in our lives. And so I want to invite you to just sit comfortably here in a moment. And I'm going to put the words up on the screen. Thanks, yeah. I'm going to have you put the words up on the screen. You can either look at them while I pray it, or you can close your eyes and listen to it. But I want to invite you just to consider right now for you, what is God inviting you to do as you look to bloom where you are planted and bless the world that's around you? Let us pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, and taking as Jesus did this sinful world just as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next.